<laughs> it's the classically boring job. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why that really is. Like, you'd think that this, I mean, I'm sorry to accountants, you do really important work, but you'd feel like that would be the stereotypically boring job. But maybe right. it's because people know how important accountants are and they're like, publishers are in this like Ethereum of boringness. Yeah. <laughs> and neither of those are boring jobs. I'm just talking right. about the stereotypes. <laughs> Don't send me your comments. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. And we're back again this week, as we consistently are on this lovely Monday afternoon in the middle of November, or the roughly middle of November. We're talking about a new play this week from a play that we haven't talked before about before, but um, it is one that we know and like and is well-loved within the theatrical community. This is a play by Edward Albee called The Zoo Story. Yeah, Zoo Story is a great American play. It was actually, I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder just because I just said American play because it was actually first produced in Germany. And in the front <laughs> of my script, Albie has a long description of this crazy process of having his, it's actually his first play produced over in Germany is the first time. And he talks about these weird things that happen in the world of theater where this, um, this new American playwright gets his play passed around and around and around and finally it ends up in somebody's <laughs> hands in Germany and they do a translation and that's his first production. So there's all kinds of those fun coincidences. And Albie is, of course, a really interesting writer. So to listen to him write a narrative like that is really fun too. If you ever end up with a copy of the script with that story in the beginning, I encourage you to read it. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The uh, so the 1959 was that German premiere, I believe, right? Yes, that's what I'm looking at at least. And uh, it premiered next to Samuel Beckett's uh, Crops Last Tape. So that's yeah. But then uh, eventually it did come to the United States. Its off Broadway production was in 1960 at the Provincetown Playhouse, um, and and it ran for a year at that time. So pretty well received. And then uh, it's had many more productions after that. It won the 1960 Obie Award for Distinguished Play and Distinguished Performance. Um, also, quite recently, it played in New York. In February of this year, it uh, played starring Katie Finneran, Robert Sean Leonard, and Paul Sparks at the uh, Signature Theater and, in and New York. And that is notably the full version of the zoo story. Uh, the, yeah. It's actually called At Home at the Zoo or something, which includes both parts of the Albie writings about these characters, right? He, he writes the zoo story, which is a one act, and then he writes home life, which is a one act about one of the characters for the zoo story. And now they're paired together in a play. And actually, Albie has said, you can't perform home life without also performing zoo story, but you can perform zoo story without performing home life. So there's a weird, mm -hmm. uh, you, know, you can do the one without the other, but not the other without the one. <laughs> But only in colleges and non-profit, not-for-profit theaters. Profit theaters have to do both, which is a fascinating choice and kind of has rippled through when he wrote the play uh, 50 years later. Um, it was when he wrote Home Life as, as the kind of sequel slash prequel to zoo, the zoo story. So, uh, yes, still still performed in colleges and, and uh, you know, non-pro theaters. 
Um, right, and, and just a minor correction there. Actually, the 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 premiere of the zoo story that happened with Crap's last tape was the American premiere. The German premiere was uh, uh, was on its own. So when it came to America, it, prefer, it premiered with Crap's last tape, which was a big deal for Albie because it's still his first play, and he's right. up with Samuel Beckett on the big ticket yeah. off Broadway. So that, yeah. that's a. Uh, uh, a fun part of his story as well. The play, the zoo story, like we've said, long one act. It's a two-hander, and if you are uh, a friend of the theater, a person involved in this community, and you g- you are going to name a two-hander off the top of your head, this is probably the one you shoot for. <laughs> yeah. um, if you don't know older plays as much, maybe you're pulling from more recent stuff. You maybe you're pulling the last five years or something. But for folks that have a, a broad sweep of dramatic literature, uh, the zoo story is the iconic two-hander. Um, it is two men, Peter and Jerry are the character names. Peter is sort of a suburban father from the time period, kind of character archetype designed to be the everyman. Uh, you know, he's like, he's the editor at a publishing house or something, which is like the most classically everyman job. Right. The, the number <laughs> of publishers in the world just can't be statistically equal to the number of publishers that are in plays. It's just like the yeah. go-to for boring people jobs and I don't think it's that boring of a job but for some reason that's what people like to write about and then Jerry is not like that at all and we'll probably have to have a discussion about what he is like um, but he is yeah. not like Peter, and that's no. sort of the distinction. Jerry is dressed less well. Uh, Albie is pretty clear to say he's not dressed sloppily or uh, in a way that looks bad. He's just more casual, more uh, less conscientious. Um, and he he approaches, Jerry approaches Peter. Peter is reading on a park bench near Central Park in New York. Uh, Jerry approaches him and strikes up a conversation. And Peter is inclined to return to reading his book or his paper or whatever, but uh, Jerry pushes him into a not-wanted conversation. And what ensues over the course of the play is that Jerry tells... Uh, basically starts with an inquisition of Peter and then goes into a few stories, which ends with The Zoo Story. The title of the play is a story he keeps telling Peter he's going to tell over and over. Well, if you're good, I'll tell you what happened at the zoo. Well, if you listen to this story, then I'll tell you what happened at the zoo. He's just come from the zoo, he tells us, and what happened at the zoo is going to be on the TVs the next day, he tells us and tells Peter, but we don't know what until, of course, the crazy, climactic, tragic end of the play, which we'll get to here in a minute. Yeah, uh, I, I, and and this play has a couple of resonances for me as well. I got to be in this play. I played Peter um, in in college, opposite one of my my good friends there. So uh, so yeah, it's 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 certainly a fun play um, to play. You could play both of these roles and have a completely different experience because part of the reason why Albie wrote. The second, uh, the prequel to this was one of his his justifications was that Peter needed more fleshing out um, for it because just structurally, we like to talk about kind of the structure of the play. Uh, Jerry has probably 90% of the lines in this play, <laughs> somewhere around there. Peter um, has has shorter lines. Uh, less there's there's one section especially where he gets into one of Jerry gets into one of his stories and it goes on for like two or three pages. <laughs> <laughs> at least in my script. So it's it's fun to uh to be on stage. I had a lot of fun being the listener in these scenarios and and maybe that's a good place to start. What makes Peter a good listener? Why why do you think Jerry picks him out of all the park benches 
in Central Park to to kind of accost for the day. That's interesting. And there's sort of two questions. The first one is about Peter as a listener. And the second one is really the core question of the play. What the heck is Jerry after, right? So let's deal with Peter's side of it first. And then I assume there'll be a long discussion between us about what the heck is Jerry trying to do on this random Sunday afternoon. So Peter as a listener... He is, at times, right, he's an unwilling listener right away. He is interested in his book. He's not interested in having this conversation. But Albie writes what I think is a genius trio of lines uh, where Peter decides that he is going to participate in the in the conversation. And I love the way he... he um, he 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 puts it in the stage directions for the actor, but I think it's also there in the lines. Jerry says is asking him if it's okay if they have a conversation, and Peter says, "I guess I don't care. It's fine." And Jerry keeps prompting him, "You do care. You don't want to have a conversation." And Albie has given the actor playing Peter some direction there. He says, "Well, actually, Peter does care. He doesn't want to have this conversation." But slowly over the course of this couple of lines, Peter decides, "Okay, fine. I'll do it." And I love watching playwrights give their actors clues as to when decisions are made in the Mm -hmm. text it's a lovely moment for a playwright to say all right he's actually on board here you don't need to play you know you don't need to play hating to be in this conversation the whole rest (laughs) of the play there's a moment where he climbs on and joins this ride and it's real early in the play yeah yep and 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 you he kind of goes through the that fluctuation of coming on board and, and realizing that the line has been crossed once or twice, but he's always on board um, uh, until until the very end when things get really contentious between Jerry and Yeah, him. until it becomes a physical confrontation at the end. When right. it's a verbal confrontation, even when it's heated verbal confrontation, Peter does not seem, once he's decided to be on board, to feel very much like he needs to bail. He, in fact, at one point, Jerry asks, oh, are you leaving? Are you leaving? And Peter says, no, I don't know what you're, no, I'm, yeah. I'm here. I'm fine. I'm still and here. It's not until the very end when it starts to get physical that Peter starts to say, I think I actually need to go. I'm going to peace out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and he stays in past the point that most people would kind of check out because <laughs> there's a decent amount of Jerry that. It's not not like your normal everyday conversation with someone. He's he's uh he's ranges in in kind of violence and up and down through the whole thing and um, and weird stories yeah, too. He's not yeah. telling normal everyday life stories. Right. I mean, certainly certainly not what you hope is a normal everyday life. He's you know he's talking about this this uh this this uh, building that he lives in with uh, all these various characters and this this uh landlord of his that is uh very attracted to him and though he does not return the the attraction and his daily struggles with that and and just uh and 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 confusing stuff too this is kind of a, there's a good deal of absurdism in this play but it's kind of couched in a very real scenario um, and he's and the 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 he refines details like I'm walking north not more northerly and um and just this this attention to smallish detail that that Jerry has borders on manic occasionally <laughs> throughout the play. Right, absolutely. The the whole first part of the conversation that Peter can't seem to understand is what direction am I walking? He's you know Jerry says, look, I've come from the zoo. Hey 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 hey, I've come from the, hey. <laughs> 
I've come from the zoo. And Peter's like, well, okay, whatever. <laughs> That's nice. And he's like, am I walking north? And Peter's like, I, I guess, <laughs> whatever. Well, it's not really north. It's sort of north-ish. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's moments like that where Peter has a hard time uh, keeping up with, like you said, the absurdity of, of what Jerry says. And some critics call this a full-on part of the canon of the theater of the absurd. Some critics don't. There's a, there's a line in there somewhere which smarter people than us have debated since <laughs> the play came out. It certainly falls into and it has absurdist elements. Almost mm-hmm. without a doubt. And, and one of them is what we've been talking about. Why the heck Peter listens so long, right? If I yeah. am approached on the street, even where I live, which is not New York City, especially if I were in New York City, but even where I live now, if I'm yeah. approached on the street by someone dressed uh, not poorly, but carelessly, who's got all this kind of odd physicality to him, and he just starts monologuing at me, <laughs> I'm I'm out of there a lot yeah. quicker than Peter is. My goodbye comes very soon yes. in that conversation, and Peter's does not. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, the, I think this is a question that those playing Peter would need to ask is, you know, why is he there in the first place? Why does he always come here what and what does he stand to gain from this conversation? Um, that that kind of uh, what is the what is the level of connection uh, that he uh, that he is getting from this? What what beside what what makes him put down his book and pay attention? And I think one of the things is that he starts being very interested in this person. <laughs> he's certainly a character. Um, he's he you know he's he's not. Uh, he is he is he is charismatic. Um, he he I think he draws Peter into the conversation, and it just continues to build after that. And he's enticing too, right? Like this 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 wondering of what happened at the zoo. By the end of it, you know, you're just like yelling along with Peter. Just what happened? I want to know. <laughs> so right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the draw to the zoo story has, has certainly got to be part of the overarching thought as to, you know, Jerry's plan is I'm mm. going to tell him about this zoo story and then not tell him for 20, 30, 40 minutes <laughs> right. about what actually happened and keep him drawn in. But it almost seems like Peter forgets about the zoo story at times. And so mm-hmm. I think you're right. As an actor for Peter, you've got to do some work to figure out what is Peter's goal. What makes him not just a passive listening participant in someone else's story? And one of the only, you know, as one of the only two characters on stage, you cannot afford for Peter to be a throwaway character. Right. The play just doesn't work. And I don't know that we said this right at the beginning, but our conversation today is not about home life. So while if yeah. you've read Home Life, that that actually brings a lot to that character of Peter's. We're looking at the zoo story as a complete one act in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So in what we get, there's not a lot of text given to us about what Peter could possibly be after. We actually get a fair amount of exposition about him, thanks to Jerry. But Mm -hmm. Peter reveals, uh, basically, as Jerry's interrogating him, Peter says, look, this isn't really a conversation. You're just asking me questions, and I don't (laughs) usually talk about myself like this. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's that, you know, he's a reserved everyman, quiet, sitting on the bench, reading a book, and that's not necessarily that interesting of a character. So yeah. what makes him interesting to watch, Jack? Having played him, what makes Peter interesting? I think you get some clues with Jerry's description of him. Um, he's kind of this. He's 
he is his own weird person. Um, uh, Jerry critiques the way he's sitting with his legs crossed too much. And, um, and just, just the rhythm of always being here with a book to read. You can play with, you know, what kind of person is that? But I think he's also, um, the, the way I wound up, uh, playing him was this, this guy who is just a little bit altruistic and it, kind of got him into trouble in this scenario. <laughs> um, I mean, he, he wanted to be left alone, but he decides at a moment to put down his book and be like, no, okay, I'm going to engage in society today. And that, that, that makes it a little bit more interesting than just like, dang it, I got to talk to this person. It's like, no, 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 I'm going to be a good human today. This is what good humans do <laughs> is talk no, to I, people. I think you're right. And that's <laughs> kind of what I was talking about earlier with the notes from Albie is that when you're playing Peter, you have to make a decision to to be in on the conversation that's happening. Because yep. without that note, I think a tendency to playing Peter would be that he's an unwilling participant the whole one act. And while yeah. that might create some interesting tension, it does not create the right tension for this play. Yeah. Because this play is about, in some ways, being drawn in to the mystery of who Jerry is, right? Mm -hmm. This this wild firecracker personality approaches you in a random every afternoon, every Sunday afternoon you've ever had. Random Jerry approaches you and he has all of this mystery, all of this difference, everything that's not Peter's life. Mm -hmm. around him and he gets pulled in at one point the script actually says peter is hypnotized or something like right. hypnotized by what jerry's describing so the willing participation for peter is an important point and you're saying you kind of saw it as peter deciding to to help jerry out right at least initially the initial buy-in is like okay i uh, you need to talk Let's talk. <laughs> and then that sparks him getting much more interested in it. The other thing that really, the, the really, uh, the piece of the play, the thing that Jerry does that I think needs Peter to be bought in on to, for him to stay around any further is where he eventually starts tickling Peter. Which yeah, is what a weird moment. A weird scene, right? Like partway through this weird conversation with this guy, he like Peter starts getting a little more irate, and Jerry just turns him around by tickling him into a state of hysteria. Um, right, yeah, this is after the long monologue about the dogs. This yep. is after uh, Peter started to get a little more weird and a little more accusatory. And basically Peter says, look, I'm leaving. I got to go. I'm sorry. And to keep him there, Jerry just starts to tickle him. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like... like that would, again, we've said it already, that would not be okay if right. someone it, I just met starts tickling me. It's That's part of the okay. absurdity, uh, you know, it's not just absurd that Jerry tickles him, it's absurd <laughs> that Peter lets it happen. Right, right. Both characters have this equal absurdity, Jerry mostly in personality, Peter in what he's willing to allow. Right, yes. And you have to ask yourself that as a, as as the person of Peter, you know, playing Peter, why do you allow this to happen? <laughs> what you know, and why? Because he sticks around after that as well, and and just in general, tickling is not a restrictive. <laughs> 
<laughs> activity. Like, it's not like he's holding him down and tickling him. He's just tickling him on the park bench. Well, and, yeah, and it causes Peter to laugh and laugh so much that he starts to, like, say words wrong. Yeah. Like, oh, yep. the, my, my parakeets are making dinner and the cats aren't ready for bed yet. That yeah. causes him to laugh more. Yep. And, and so he, he laughs sort of at himself and at what jerry was doing and and then eventually that laughter causes him to sort of miss the beginning of the zoo story right and he has right. to like play catch up a little bit to the whole thing that we've been waiting 30 <laughs> minutes to listen to it's like what, peter shut up he just right. said he's gonna tell us the zoo story yep pay attention <laughs> so yep. what do you what do you think peter's goal is jackson if if what what did you write down as your you know one goal for the play? Obviously, there's many little moments, but what is Peter after? I think Peter is after arguably a very similar thing that Jerry is after, which is a meaningful human experience. Um, I think uh, uh, what I what I wound up playing, and I, there there are more ways to play. Uh, certainly, if you allow home life to inform you, uh, there are definitely more ways to play Peter and his motivations. But uh, just as the one act stands alone, I think he is. I think he is out here and wanting a human experience, and he wants to connect with another individual. I, I think uh, he he has the the little bit that the one act gives you of what his life at home is like. He's somewhat perturbed by some things. Uh, he doesn't like the cats. He doesn't like the parakeets, uh, <laughs> and uh, he he gets very defensive about his home life, almost in a a, a doth protest too much sort of way. Um, yeah, and and he gets it, it's almost like he's emasculated by it. Yeah, like and, and you know it's a play from the '60s, so obviously there's some attitudes there that we don't carry over into our time thank the lord but yeah. one of them is this idea that as a man you have certain things in life and you know one, one thing peter says is well of course every man wants a son because mm-hmm. he has only daughters and at one point jerry says well do you have any dogs and like you said peter's forced to admit no i have cats and then in what i think is a very <laughs> funny but also kind of heartbreaking moment for the character jerry says like is there anything else you need to tell me and peter <laughs> goes like yeah we have two birds yeah, there are birds too <laughs> <laughs> and and that, and that has some charming sort of depressingly funny overtones but it also speaks to this idea that Peter's life is what what he what he actually lives is not matched up with this dream life that yeah. he ultimately would want and prefer. And so he's sort of stuck in this maybe unsatisfying life, you could say, about Peter, that he, you know, he's the type of man that takes a break every Sunday afternoon and reads in the park, which is which does not say anything bad about your personality other than Peter is set in this routine of escaping, right? Not only escaping yeah. his house to the park, but escaping his life to a book. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 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 at this at, at at this crossroads, his goal post putting down the book becomes to connect with someone, which might be a good jumping off point to switch over to Jerry, who is a, a wild enigmatic <laughs> character. We've already started talking about him a little bit. Yeah, but. it's interesting because, like you said, Albie in in an interview about why he wrote the prequel said that in Zoo Story, Jerry is a really fully fleshed out character, whereas Peter is sort of missing something. He's, uh, Albie actually described him as being half a character. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, I'm on board with that, but, I, <laughs> like, 
I don't know that I could really, it's very hard to put your finger on what the fully formedness of Jerry actually is. Right. I mean, he's a very clear human being. I know people that I think are very much (laughs) like Jerry. I I can imagine what meeting someone like that in the park would be, but you try to grab out at what it is and it's like smoke. It's like, whoa, that's not real. Who, Who is Jerry? What's real? Do we have any reason to believe some of what Jerry is saying is a lie? Other than the fact that he's super weird, what are some textual reasons, Jackson? Do you have some? Well, he's, uh, yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) I guess guess that he is sort of weird is my primary argument now that you said it. That's my point, too. It's like, (laughs) of course some of it might be lying. And then you go, well. Well. But we just Other don't than trust the fact him. that he's just odd, I don't know yeah. that he, I don't know that I have any proof that he's lying about yeah. anything. So maybe fully fleshed out isn't the right word. Maybe fully experienced is the right word for what Jerry is in this play. Right. <laughs> because yes. yeah, because we we do get the full experience of Jerry throughout this play, but we don't get to corroborate anything about him. It's not like we get to go to a scene where he's in his apartment and we see what happens. Certainly, he he gives a very subjective view of what happens when he arrives at his apartment um the big one the big long one in it is this story multi-level story about this dog of the landlady's dog in the apartment that he (laughs) goes through different bouts of trying to interact with from like the dog barking at him and not letting him pass to I'm going to befriend this dog nope can't befriend this dog I'm gonna kill this dog nope can't kill this dog (laughs) I want to, you know, gonna make peace with it. I guess, peace, yeah. yeah it, it's like the, uh, it's like a climactic moment of Jerry's life. This experience yeah. that happened to him, and then telling Peter about it is a climactic moment in the play. In fact, Albie actually instructs the actor playing Jerry to, at some point earlier in the script, sort of begin to move around the stage with increasing determination and energy, climaxing in this story, the story of Jerry and the dog. Right. He announces in big words before he tells the story of the landlady's dog, and the dog basically prevents or tries to prevent Jerry from going upstairs to his apartment. He chases him and bites at him. Uh, Usually Jerry can get away, he says, but occasionally he's gotten bitten. And so he decides one day, well, I'm just going to make friends with it. So he buys all these hamburgers and he gives the dog the hamburgers and he gives the dog the hamburgers for a week. But after a week, the dog still wants to bite at him and chase him when he's done eating. So he says, fine, I'm going to kill the dog. He puts poison into one of the hamburger (laughs) meats and gives it to him. The dog gets really sick. And for some reason, Jerry decides while the dog is sick, oh, you know what? I actually want the dog to live. I hope it lives. I think I might miss this dog if he's not here with me anymore. And miraculously, the dog survives. And because of this love and hatred and violence situation, they've reached an uneasy truce where they stare each other down every time Jerry goes upstairs. Yeah, it's so so it just experiencing it is a weird story and peter is wrapped the audience is wrapped in this in you know paying close attention to this um and 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 it ends in antipathy right like like they end up being like uneasy truce we don't like each other we don't hate each other we're 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 walking by and do you think what what do you think that story means for Jerry? Is there any greater or is it just an experience for him? Is it just like this is what he what happens to him when he goes home? 
Well, he describes it as being an experience for him. He says one of the reasons he came about to want this dog to to continue to live is that he's he's learning something about how to have a connection with another living creature through having a connection with this animal. He says something like, you know, if you can't have a connection with other people, then the way to start is to have this connection with an animal. And so the connection that they reach is like an anti-connection. It's not what Jerry wants. Jerry wants this dog to love him. Uh, to the point where when Peter says, oh, what about her dog, the landlady's dog? Uh, Jerry goes, what do you mean her dog? It's my dog. Oh, wait. No, it's <laughs> right. not my dog, right? He he has this feeling of wanting to be in a relationship with the dog, but the best that he can ever get is this uneasy truce with the dog that is no relationship. It's no. It's literally no interaction. Instead of biting or loving, Jerry just passes by with nothing happening. Mm-hmm. I think you're right on in that. I think that that could inform a lot of Jerry's character, who is a person who is trying to learn how to have connection with people. And just over and over, uh, you know, he's he gets isolated. He is lonely. Um, he, he tries for things that doesn't that 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 end up not working. Uh, they don't translate well to the other. And and when he falls back on this, like, OK, I can't have relationships with people. I'm going to try to have a relationship with this animal. And even that ends up in antipathy or just kind of like shunning, uh, allowing to exist, but might as well be dead to each other. Um, and that's right. And if you follow that line, what happens right after that becomes a really heartbreaking moment because Peter says, as a response to this whole story, he says, what in the world did you tell me that story for yeah. you crazy person? Mm-hmm. And you just sort of watch Jerry deflate. He first is sort of angry and then he just realizes that there's no connection there. He says, what do you mean? What do you mean? What did I tell you? I, I explained the whole thing about love and violence, about how both love and violence are the only way to teach about relationships. You can't have, what do you mean you don't under, oh, you just don't get it. Right. You and I have no connection, no common ground with which I can share this human experience that I've had. We have nothing moving forward. And mm-hmm. I wonder, if you're playing Jerry, if that's not the moment where you as Jerry commit to the trajectory of the rest of the play. Right. Because the rest of the play does follow in line with that trajectory, right? Like, we don't share anything at all. Nothing can, can you know, we can't, we can't share common ground. Now get off my bench. It's not your bench. <laughs> it's my bench. <laughs> and then right. just... he, re- he resorts to animal interaction, right? Yeah. Because he, he can't have the human interaction of sharing a story from his life. Something that that's what humans do instinctually. When mm-hmm. we meet as people, we tell each other stories of our lives. That's what we do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This morning I went and got a bagel before I said goodbye to my, you know, that's what we do. And he realizes I can't even have that connection with Mm -hmm. another human being because they don't get me. So what's the relationship I'm going to have? I'm going to become an animal. And what, what are animals? We're territorial. Just like the dog said, get off my floor. Jerry starts to say to Peter, get off my bench. <laughs> yep, which devolves Peter into, it's it's not your bench, it's it's my bench. Right, Peter turns right around and gives <laughs> it right back to him. Yep. They yep. become fighting dogs by the mm-hmm. end. Absolutely, yeah. And it and it and it just continues to devolve it, it it until he draws a knife. And I think the drawing of the knife cues a bunch of questions. 
right? Why does he have the knife? Maybe he just carries a knife. But what other possibilities could there be for Jerry to have a knife on him? Right. The entrance of the knife changes everything. Because if the play had ended with, let's, all right, we're, we're moving into the spoilers. Uh, yeah. So yep. at the end of the play, Jerry dies. He dies by suicide uh, by impaling himself yeah. on the knife. We'll get the, well, all right, we'll talk about it. Let's say for now he dies by suicide. Uh-huh. Uh, but ultimately, it's the result of this fight. And if the same sort of thing had happened, right? If at the end of the play they had been fighting over this bench with their fists and pushing each other and maybe Peter just gets so angry that he gets on top of Jerry and chokes him to death or he accidentally hits him too hard, you know? If the fight had ended with this animalistic exchange, then the play would have a really different overall tone and almost Mm -hmm. a different theme because then the theme becomes about the difference between human connection and animal connection, right? That actually happens in a lot of plays, especially short plays. Yeah. You see this this idea of human beings as being like animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty regular. But when Jerry draws the knife, suddenly everything sharpens into focus. Right. And you go, what have we been doing? <laughs> right. What has been this been? been this spell. What's been going on this whole... And that's basically what Peter does too. He goes, wait a minute. You're crazy. You've been planning to kill me this whole time. Yep. And the audience at the same time goes, oh yeah. <laughs> that's right. You right. should run. You have been. <laughs> wait a minute. This is just a crazy person. What, what have we been doing listening to this crazy person for... A, 30 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to make some decisions about that as to why why he has a knife. Like, when when he draws that knife and, and it switches over, was he manipulating the whole time? At what point did he, did he know that he would be drawing the knife? What prompts him to come here into Central Park with a knife and eventually lead to this moment? I think it has something to do with the zoo, um, but again, we don't know exactly what happened at the zoo. Well, other here's than what we do know, right? Yeah. He says, as he's dying, he's impaled on this knife, and Jerry's dying, and he says, I'll tell you the zoo story now, finally. Right. Uh, and he <laughs> Thanks, says, man. I was at the zoo, and I decided I was going to walk north until I found you or uh, found anybody. And that when I found somebody, I was going to talk to that person, and this this is the quote, and tell you things and things that I would tell you would ellipse. Well, here we are. So what would they do? Who knows? Right. It could be one option. This whole thing was premeditated and mm-hmm. Jerry has been planning suicide from the beginning of the play. And basically he was going to show up, talk somebody into a fervor where they might kill him. Yeah. Sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, suicide by stranger, I guess. Right. Because what happens is it's I mean this kind of it's a it's a weird. Let me ground. say that is not what I think happened. But let's let's yeah. let you continue. Yeah, yeah. Let's just talk about the structure, the bones, the the actual site of what happens. Jerry draws a knife. Peter's like, "Whoa, wait a minute, we're not doing this." And then Jerry's like, "No, no, no, it's not an even fight because you're not armed. Take this knife. Now it's an even fight." And uh, he he keeps railing at Peter. Uh, Peter picks up the knife eventually and kind of holds it defensively at like arm's length, stay stay back um, style. And um, then then a rush happens. They run toward each other, and Jerry, uh, I believe, I want to I want to I want to give everyone a fair shot here. So I'm going to read the stage directions. Um, 
With a rush, Jerry charges Peter and impales himself completely on the knife. So that's what happens. <laughs> and that's what the script says happens. Um, and, which is and, just a, a little bit different than what you had just said, which was that they charge each other. Yes. It's not yes. a it's not a mutual charge. Correct. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry rushes at Peter and impales himself on the knife. So that's that's just the bones of what happens. Uh the semantics get a lot more complicated because Jerry is like yelling at Peter this whole time. Uh, he, he begins, he returns back to that kind of insulting, uh, his genetics and his masculinity and, um, and, and his, his territory, right? This is yeah. what we've been mentioning that it becomes a territorial fight first over the bench and then basically over all of who Peter is. Right. Jerry says, look at, you're this miserable human being. You've got this, boring family which is not what you wanted these stupid pets well yep. guess what that's your territory i know you hate it but you better fight to defend your territory or i'm coming yeah and this all drives peter to the point where he picks up the knife and holds it out but the script says importantly he holds it out defensively i mm -hmm. think albie is trying to give everybody as much information as possible which says peter is not intending to kill this guy yeah. at the outset mm-hmm so it, it kind of comes down to that moment, that that rush, that connection when when uh, he impales himself on the knife um, to decide as Peter and as Jerry. Certainly, I, I I think Jerry was intending to impale himself on the knife. I think some of the response, how much responsibility you give Peter for Jerry's death, depends a lot on how you block that moment in the play. Um. And and how that connection happens, you know the 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 stance of Peter as as Jerry rushes at him means a lot. It's a very visual moment, and it will define how you look at Peter as Peter exits this play. Um, does he does he just kind of freeze, arms arms locked in front of him, or is there a moment of it's not easy to impale one on a knife? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you have to decide whether, whether Peter has any agency in that moment or just kind of stands there and lets it happen. Right. Yeah. It says in fact that there's this moment of silence while Jerry is impaled at the end of Peter's still firm arm. Yeah. Which is, I think, sort of an important and clouded and gray description. Because what would it mean that Peter's arm is still held out firm? Yeah. It means that he locked his arm up for sure. And I don't know. I mean, if someone is rushing at me and I don't want to stab them, I feel like it would be easy to do. Exactly. I, th I think it's got to be easy not to stab somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Granted, I've never been in a knife fight like that, at least. But golly boy, it seems easy not to stab somebody. I've never been holding the knife as someone charged me. <laughs> right, right, and that's what—that's why I think, I think, I think Peter blames himself certainly by the end of the play. Um, I don't know that he is deserving of of any uh, of it. I think he maybe is. Perhaps he is is uh, less to blame than to blame for this, but I think Peter blames himself. I think he sees himself as 
um, he, he asks, what have I done? Um, uh, and, and, he, and he sees himself as certainly someone who just killed someone, <laughs> um, which is kind of the penultimate amount of manipulation that Jerry can have over him by the end. He manipulates him through this whole thing until all the way to the point of killing him. <laughs> so of almost, and, and that's, that's why I think that was my reaction to, to does he commit suicide or not? Certainly he creates a situation where he will be murdered. Um, and I don't, I don't know where that line is. <laughs> of that yeah i mean you know he he certainly charges the knife yep i think it's a pretty hard argument to say it's not suicide in some form Mm -hmm. now does peter bear some of the responsibility potentially you know you could almost imagine a comparable situation with like a home invader and someone who owned a firearm you know, there's this moment of like, well, I have stand, stand my ground law. You're a home invader. If you try to attack me, I'm going to shoot you. And it's like, well, who's at fault if that violence occurs? Clearly, someone was the attacker and someone was defending themselves and someone died. But there might be shared blame through the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that we should ask this question. What is Jerry after or out to get he says as he's dying that he was at the zoo and something about being at the zoo he said he went there for the purpose of watching animals and people interact Mm -hmm. um to learn about their relationships that's what we get sort of and then as he's dying we get this idea that when he was at the zoo he decided to walk in a northward direction until he met someone and then he was intending something to happen we don't know what what what's your sense, Jackson, of what Jerry is out to get having left the zoo? He starts to play. I've just come from the zoo. What has he come to do? Yeah, it is annoyingly um, vague. And you just you just have to make a call as a production team what he's coming from. Um, the, the, we, we've read the section that he describes, uh, what his plan was when he left the zoo. The only thing that we really get about what he was doing at the zoo, other than to look at people was that you'll see it on the TVs tomorrow. Um, so s- something of note happened at the zoo and, and I don't, I don't think there's a lot of call to disbelieve as we have said, basically our call to disbelieve Jerry in any situation is just that he's weird. Um, so I don't think that it's 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 necessarily set up that like, oh, you're just lying about whatever happened at the zoo. Something of import enough to make it onto television happened at the zoo. Um, and I think he ran. Um, I, I, I'll just tell you what we decided as a production team and then we can maybe jump off from there. We think we thought he ran from the zoo, went in a northerly direction, and the first person he found to kind of unload his life on <laughs> before people came for him was Peter. Um, almost kind of a, you know, cruel fate sort of scenario of just, he was heading, heading north, trying to get north, and uh, found Peter and began unloading. As, as he says, I would find someone and force them to end this for me, pretty much. That's, that's, the, that's what we put into the ellipses, was we'd find, find someone to end this for me before the, basically the authorities come. 
So that's interesting. I think that I disagree. And I think yeah. I actually disagree with the idea that something happened at the zoo. Ooh, okay. He says that he's come from the zoo. And then he says, Jerry says, the quote is, and I'll read it so we can be fair. You'll read about it in the papers tomorrow if you don't see it on your TV tonight, which does seem to, at least at face value, indicate that something has happened at the zoo. But then as he's dying, Jerry says, and now you know all about what happened at the zoo. And now you know what you'll see in your TV. So for me, I think that Jerry is actually saying what's what you're going to see on TV is that I, that someone has been murdered in Central Park and that oh. he'd just come from the zoo. And so mm. there's this relationship of you're going to see on TV that I had just come from the zoo. Wow, Not yeah. necessarily that something happened at the zoo because here's what I think happened. I think that Jerry, as a result of this incident with the dog, has decided that he has almost no chance at human connection. He goes to the zoo to discover something about human and animal interaction. What he discovers there is that people are basically separated by cages. This is totally disheartening to him. So he decides that he's going to walk until he can meet someone and he's going to try to have a human interaction with them. If he fails, he's going to die. To me, I think that's what Jerry's after. He's got a twofold goal. The first choice, the first chance is to say, I'm going to try to make a human connection with someone. I've failed at it my whole life. The first person I see that seems like they might talk to me, I'm going to make an attempt. If the attempt fails, I'm going to force them to kill me. Mm -hmm. Because I think that he knows that that will be easy. Basically, as soon as uh, Peter says, I didn't understand your story, I don't get you, you're kind of weird, Jerry has a couple of lines where it's like, yeah, you don't really understand me, do you? Do you know what to think of me? And Peter says, no, I, I really don't know what to think of you. And then that begins the spiral where basically right after that is the tickling bit, and yep. then the tickling bit leads into the bit about the bench. Hmm. So I think from the moment where the chance at human interaction fails at that moment is where Jerry decides, up, oh, I've failed, time to die. Yeah. And he forces a violent altercation by behaving like an animal. Mm-hmm. So that's my interpretation of the sequence of events. But again, both of our interpretations are similarly based on a set of vague facts <laughs> that we don't know much about. Right, right. I think... Uh, I think what yours does is provides Jerry some interesting headspace, the actor playing Jerry, and then also structurally within the play, some interesting beats for the character. Um, he's, he, you know, he's in it. He, he's bought in too. Um, he's not just here necessarily to just straight up manipulate Peter through the whole play. He's there and he's invested in this and it matters to him to get this story across in a good way for Peter to understand it. And then when that fails, that beat happens of like, okay, now we're doing this. Um, and, and it continues on through the rest of the play. Um, there are some other uh, satellite things that are, that, that in general, these, these vague details we're talking about are all little clues. And I think it's nigh impossible to justify every one of them. 
Um, some of them you just have to be like, okay, that's just what Jerry cares about. Like, for instance, the the details of the streets um, were what we were looking at of like, he's going somewhere. He's trying to get somewhere and, and he needs to know where he is located and positioned. And so why does he care about that? Well, maybe he's running. And and if he is if he is running, what's he running from? Well, maybe something did happen at the zoo. Um, and so there's, there's all, all sorts of these things, like five read-throughs of this play. You could pick up on different little hints and clues. And, and depending on where your headspace is of who these characters are, they all interpret differently, right? Because yeah. for me, the moment about the street signs is Jerry's attempt at at trying to pretend like he cares about things other people care about. He says, well, I don't know what, do you know what streets we're on? Because that's what people do is talk about streets. <laughs> and I don't like the west side of Central Park, do you? Because that's what people care about. Sure. And Peter's like, I, I don't, what are you talking about? And Jerry's sort of like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to do this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, where you come from, where the character of Jerry comes from, well, definitely from the zoo, but from from what? From right. a violent interaction, from a crime of some sort, from something terrible, or from a failed social interaction. Where yeah. Jerry is coming from and what he's come to Peter to do guides virtually all of how you see the rest of the play. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, and what I do really like about just coming from a failed interaction is, is it's not just, you know, it is not just a failed interaction. It is a continued steeping that Jerry has had through his whole life, pretty much. He talks about, you know, his childhood and relationships that range through there as well of these shallow relationships that last for barely any time and then go away and are not, are not deep and rich and don't amount to a real human uh, relationship. And so this, this, you know, straw that breaks the camel's back of this dog and then going to the zoo of all places, not even like a beloved pet, but captured animals <laughs> is kind of like the last stage that he can maybe find something of connection. Well, and he notes that one of the things, it's actually the last detail we get about the zoo is that he says he's there and he watches the lion's feeding time. Yeah. He talks about how, you know, he went to the zoo and it really wasn't a great experiment because animals are in cages and people are out here. And he really wanted to see about their interactions between people and animals. But he's there anyway. And what he sees are lions devouring carcasses of meat. Yeah. And then he says, well, it's, you know, I either got to be a human or I got to be an animal because they're divided by cages. And these interactions that I've had, one of the most significant ones was with an animal who tore apart meat just like this lion did. And he yeah. wanted to tear me apart. And so I think that at the zoo, he comes to this crisis of society and says, you know, I, I'm one or the other. I better go figure out which one. Now, right. why he's so intent on walking north, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> that probably fits your version of the story better than mine, really. Um, but, the, you know, there's lots of stuff like that. I don't know which one Albie was, was writing or imagining. Right, right. And, and yeah, I, I totally agree that anyone coming to this play brings something to this play. Um, uh, certainly the director does, but the actors do too. Um, uh, and, and, and this is a play. The reason why I think that, uh, Albie allows this to still be done in colleges is because it's a great chance for, uh, actors to really stretch and, and figure out what subtext to use, um, for, for these characters that are, are very, uh, able to be fine tuned and pulled in different directions by what you bring to them. 
Yeah, it it fits. You know, it, it's similar in a lot of ways to something like Beckett's um, uh, "Waiting for Godot." Right? Mm, it's this mm-hmm. sort of similar to. Not they're not blank canvases because they're very clear characters. Yep. Peter and Jerry, they're far more clear characters than Godot's characters are in, in uh, than Beckett's characters are in Waiting for Godot. <laughs> yep. um, but there's a similar sense of you can bring a lot to the text. Um, which is not always true in plays, right? Recently, we talked about All Wilderness. Eugene O'Neill has done a vast majority of the work for you yeah. in terms of what you can bring to the text <laughs> in these incredibly lengthy character descriptions and imaginings. And, you know, Albie is somewhere between O'Neill and Beckett, but he's on yeah. the Beckett side of that spectrum. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Uh, he's not, he doesn't super define them, but he gives you a lot uh, to kind of click into place um, if, if you have the right pieces to join them all together. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jackson, tell us about what your experience of playing Peter was. Did you come out of that experience with a, a deeper human insight? I guess I'm trying to get at what, what we watch the play for, what the interaction with the play is, what, why mm. do the play? Yeah, um... I think so. So I'll I'll kind of give two answers, um, both as as an as as the actor, what I brought away from it, and what I hope the audience received from it. Um, I being being Peter in this play ha, uh, made me ask a lot of questions about how I uh, experience other people and how to be present um, in in different scenarios um, be, because. <laughs> the biggest challenge for the actor playing Peter is being present on stage. It was certainly a big acting challenge for me to be actively listening for a 40 minute play in which I have tiny little interjections. You know, most of Peter's lines are 10 words or less kind of stuck in between these large monologues of Jerry's where uh, he's expounding on crazy things. And some of those go on for a page at a time. Um, and, and Peter has to listen. Peter, that's that kind of what I said before. I don't think Peter functions as a impassive or uh, no, I'm sorry, a passive uh, person who's just kind of like drug along for this. Peter has to be interested. So as an actor, that was challenging. And then it carried over into my own life as well of like, if if I need, I need to be present <laughs> for conversations <laughs> and that challenge of, of uh, committing to listening to full stories of people and figuring out when people need to be heard in that scenario was what Peter challenged me to do. Um, And I think that is connected to what I was hoping the audience would get from the situation, which is this, I think this play shows off people who are very alone and not connected. Um, And, and, and will push you, you see Jerry pushing on his last leg for some kind of connection, um, trying really hard <laughs> for to to be connected. He is, I mean, he's not necessarily a uh, a likable person. I, I looked, I was kind of doing a bit of research about the play and the word anathema came up, which is, you know, someone who is shunned. Um, and I think that's Jerry um, in a lot of scenarios is that he has been shunned a lot. And, and he feels that he feels alone. He feels isolated and he is trying in this last moment before 
I mean, he certainly has a back pocket plan to kill himself going into this play. You think he's, I think he's hoping to not. I think he's hoping to have justification to not. But in this scene, he is, he is trying to connect and to, you, you, I, as Peter in this, um, hope that my bit of uh, pity and fear, hopefully, that I drummed up from people was pity for Jerry and fear that that um, that you would be aware of someone's story enough to intercede in that moment when they reach out for help and connection. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I like the way you talked about the idea of Jerry as someone who's shunned. You know, I, I oftentimes will watch some clips of these plays before we do it just to see it on its feet a little bit. And oftentimes what you can find on YouTube are mostly uh, colleges or worse high schools or sure. <laughs> sometimes worse community theaters, sometimes better, <laughs> it just depends. And so they're not often really great productions. So I, uh, not all the time can you get a ton out of the acting quality. Sometimes you can. But uh, what I really got watching these clips was the difference in costume design choices for Jerry. Hmm. You know, Peter was almost the same every every time. But the difference <laughs> sure. between the Jerrys was stark. I mean, hmm. sometimes Jerry was dressed in like a, like a, just a wife beater and jeans that were messed up. I mean, really on the end, sort of the edge of the socially rejected kind of uh, archetype of costumes. And sometimes probably the most heartbreaking one I saw was someone who was dressed um, just sort of without care. You know, he had jeans and just a big winter jacket on. And so you could tell that his social shunning was about personality. And that kind of was more heartbreaking, this idea that this was just a guy that no one likes because he's so stinking weird. Yeah. And that kind of broke my heart the most. And I think that where you place Jerry in costuming in this play will have a really significant impact. And, of course, that will come from, like everything else, this picture of who Jerry is. And that's why, we, to bring it back to what Albie said about the two characters— you know, he says Peter's half a character. That's true, but he's a pretty well, he's a pretty clearly formed half a character. You sort of know Peter. Right. Or, or at least Peter is in, in a box. You assume. Maybe, yeah. Right. And maybe that's what Albie says is that, well, what I really created was a stereotype. And mm -hmm. so with Home Life, I wanted to create a character. And Jerry is far more of a character than a stereotype, so much that he's kind of hard to stereotype. Yeah. You know, like oftentimes when I watch these clips, you see very similar costuming and acting choices from clip to clip. But there is almost no consistency in what I saw between productions of the zoo story. Hmm. Do you remember, Jackson? What did you costume? Uh, uh, I don't know if we can say his name. Let's not for now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. your fellow actor. We did not ask permission. Uh, your What did you costume your fellow actor in your production <laughs> of the zoo story? Yeah. Wink, yeah, wink, nudge, nudge to that fellow actor. Hope you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was uh, uh, kind of kind of the jeans and jacket sort. He had a a plain white T-shirt uh, underneath a kind of a, a duster uh, brown jacket and and jeans, and he was just kind of walking through the park. Versus Peter, I think, had like a sport coat sort of jacket, and uh, you know looked like a publishing house person. <laughs> <laughs> it's the classically boring job. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why that really is. Like, 
You'd think that this, I mean, I'm sorry to accountants, you do really important work, but you'd feel <laughs> like that would be the stereotypically boring job. But maybe right. it's because people know how important accountants are and they're like publishers are in this like <laughs> ethereum of boringness. Yeah. <laughs> and neither of those are boring jobs. I'm just talking right. about the stereotypes. <laughs> Don't send me your comments. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right, though. I think I think that's why I th- this play can keep keep having legs and keep doing things is, is because of how you costume it when you set the play. Um, it, I think, I think with minimal, uh, touching up, this play could be produced contemporarily. You wouldn't need to set it in the 1960s. No, um, at some, at, at some degree of contemporariness, you'll have to deal with the issue of cell phones like you yep. do for every play that is translated over, right? Because yep. in this situation, Peter's got a cell phone. So why does, why isn't he out on his cell phone like everybody else is mm-hmm. in 2018? Uh, yep. You know, that's an issue. But if you set it back to like the late nineties, early two mm-hmm. thousands, I think that that could really be resonant. Yep. I think I think it'd be interesting to at least look at the lines and like ask, is he listening to Audible instead? Like the initial lines of the play with Peter, uh, with Jerry yelling at Peter, does he have headphones in? Is he, you know, waiting for a subway in Central, you know, at the Central Park Station or something like that and has his headphones in? I think there's all sorts of interesting questions you can ask as a design team. It's a nice blank slate for that as well. Um so so yeah, I I I hope this play continues to be done. I think it asks very interesting questions and yeah. Well, I think that that is our conversation about the zoo story. Yes. Uh, it was a fun one. It's a it's a really really interesting play. Uh I I probably, I don't know, Jack, maybe you agree with me or don't. I probably would encourage folks to read it in conjunction with Home Life. Um, we wanted to just talk about the zoo story since it's such a classic, iconic one act. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't do a ton of one acts and uh, this is our first Albie, but mm-hmm. I, if you were going to read the zoo story, I would pr- maybe my recommendation would be to read it in conjunction with home life. Cause I yeah. think that those two function so well together, but like we've talked about, the zoo story is a really fascinating play on its own. Mm-hmm. What might be interesting for for uh, you as an experience, I don't know if I would wholeheartedly recommend this, but it'd be fun, is to read the zoo story first and uh, then go back and read Home Life and 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 play with it in that in that way. And you begin, I think that'll be an interesting experience to unfold some of why Peter is the way Peter is. Yeah, absolutely. I th- yeah, I think that that's a really interesting suggestion. As always, we recommend reading the plays. Even if you didn't get to it before our episode, please read them afterwards. Uh, what we talk about are plays that we think are really, really good. Yes. Uh, plays that are worth your time. And occasionally, uh, we've we've given at least one not-so-great review across <laughs> our time and maybe a few more mediocre reviews. But they're plays that are at least worth your time to engage with in some mm-hmm. way. So Evoke uh, interesting questions. Absolutely. And Zoo Story is easily in that list. Um, We'll go down probably in the top echelon of American plays, even on on its own as time goes on. So if you liked this episode or some of our other conversations, please share them. Share them on your social media. Share them with friends. That is the best way to continue to build our listeners and our community so that we can pull together this community of people who like scripts and have interesting conversations. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or where it's hosted on Podcasts. Bean. You can also find uh, every week the episode gets posted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Yes, and on those social media sites, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, continue the conversation with us. Uh, comment on this post that you clicked on uh, with, with some of your thoughts about the zoo story or going back to any of the plays we've talked about. Um, if you are listening to this uh, and have something more to add to the conversation, something maybe we missed in our conversation about it, we'd love to continue the conversation with you. Uh, our handles are at NoScriptPodcast. That's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then our email is NoScriptPodcast podcast at gmail.com we look forward to continuing the conversation with you we also have a patreon if you are interested in supporting this podcast please find us on patreon these episodes are not free to us to make we are interested in the project and enjoy what we do however we would love some support from you as well we have some different levels of giving that receive different rewards so feel free to look us up on patreon and support us there as well we also need to make an announcement that we will not be releasing new episodes during the month of December Mm -hmm. we are taking a holiday break hopefully you will take a holiday break from your life and get some rest and read some plays. Yeah, uh, that'll be a great time to go back, read some plays, and listen to some episodes if you haven't listened to them yet or re-listened to some episodes after you've read the plays. That's a great time to catch up. We might be able to repost some of our favorite episodes from our time uh, during that month of December, but there won't be any new episodes. We will be back in January with a brand new slate of episodes, including a uh, March month that we are starting to imagine what another group of plays to read together might be uh, Mm -hmm. for March like we did Musical Month. Yes, indeed. So yeah, in keeping with the holidays, for all of our American listeners, have a happy Thanksgiving this week. We'll be back again next week with another play, but until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. This is No Script, the podcast. We'll see you next week, but then not for a month after that. Yes. Goodbye. See ya. See ya.